Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. This week on Farm Food Facts, we will discuss love for farmers on this coming Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, all. Welcome to the Farm Food Facts interactive podcast presented by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance for Wednesday, February 13th, 2018. Today, our thought leader is Joe Koss, president and CEO of Culver Franchising System, the franchisor for nearly 700 Culver's restaurants in 25 states with over 20,000 team members. Our podcast will then continue with North Carolina farmer Bo Stone, who along with his parents and wife Missy, grow 2,300 acres of corn, wheat, and soybeans. They also raise approximately 10,000 pigs every year and have 60 cows. In addition, They also grow two and a half acres of strawberries and four acres of sweet corn that they sell at their own roadside market. But first, Joe Koss. Joe, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Same to you. Culver's has a unique relationship with farmers. You've raised almost $2 million for ag education and developed the Thank You Farmers Project. How did your connection with farmers get started? Yeah, I think our connection goes back to to our roots of, of where Culver's got its start. Uh, uh, the Culver family opened the, the very first uh, restaurant back in 1984 in the, the small Wisconsin uh, rural community of uh, Sauk City. And uh, I think that that connection has just grown from there. And uh, we certainly have a, a great appreciation uh, for the hardworking farm families. And, and we really know that uh, we wouldn't be uh, the success we are today without the uh, great farmers providing and, and growing the, the delicious food that uh, our restaurants serve each and every day. Joe, I I really have to commend you on the program because while we see a lot of supermarkets out there, you know, honoring the farmer, putting up farmer pictures and the like, it's really pretty unusual in the food service side to to hear from um, an operator such as yourself really talking about, you know, the farmer, this, this appreciation for food. Why is this program so important to you? Well, for us, it's it's just a natural connection, and um, you know we've supported various causes over the years, but this Thank You Farmers project really resonates with us. As again, we we understand, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to serve the high quality food that we do without the uh, the farmers producing it for us. And uh, our Thank You Farmers project has been around uh, uh, about seven years now, and it continues uh, to grow for us. But um, it's, it goes beyond just showing our appreciation uh, for those farmers. It's, it's also a way for us to uh, better uh, understand and uh, learn about farming practices uh, so we can talk to our guests about that. Uh, but as well, uh, we understand that uh, we want to make sure there's a sustainable food supply uh, going forward. And, and you know, the, the trends are showing that, that populations will continue to grow and, and there are limited resources. And so this is a way for us to really uh, provide support for those future leaders in agriculture because we're all going to need them. We are. That's for sure. Joe, I want to go back to something you said about sharing the information with your guests. Um, how do you do that? How, do, how does you know, a, a customer who comes into Culver's really understand where the food is coming from and the role of the farmer? 
Yeah, I think we do that in a, a number of different ways, and it starts with our, our marketing program. We we have a uh, marketing campaign uh, that we've been running for a number of years that, that we call Welcome to Delicious, and uh, through uh, TV, yeah, thank you, through yeah. some of our uh, TV spots, we're, we're able to feature uh, our co-founder, Craig Culver, along with uh, many of our great suppliers, as well as farmers uh, in those spots. And uh, uh, they can tell the story directly, which uh, we believe has resonated with our guests. But in addition to that, uh, we're, we're using certainly uh, websites and social media to tell a, a deeper story about where our food comes from and, and how it's prepared. And we want that to be honest and accurate. And so the more we learn, the, the better uh, we can tell that story to our guests. So I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Um, did you ever get like this really strange qu question from one of your guests about farmers that you just had to scratch your head and say, I have no idea. I better call the farmer. Yeah, no, certainly today, um, our guests are more curious about where their food comes from. And they're, they're asking more and more questions. And sometimes, you know, we have to say, let's, uh, let's check into that and, and, and get back to you. And, and, you know, through this Thank You Farmers project, we've been able to uh, talk directly to farmers, talk directly to uh, ag organizations like USFRA uh, to learn more uh, about where our food comes from. And um, then we can then, in turn, better educate our guests on that. I want to delve into that a little bit more. How and why is Culver's working with the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance? Yeah, so this, I think, is just a, a natural progression for our Thank You Farmers project. We want to continue to build relationships uh, with the agriculture community. And uh, we've had relationships with farmers and the FFA and, and now with the, the USFRA and just another great resource for us. Um, and, and this connection to uh, directly to, to farmers and ranchers. And uh, I think building those relationships is, is just very beneficial. We're, we're really all a a part of agriculture they're they're growing it for us and we're serving it to mm -hmm. to the guests so let's uh let's continue to gain alignment uh and that's just beneficial for all of us absolutely well joe thank you for your commitment your support of farmers and ranchers across the nation it's, it's important and uh you know i'm looking forward to getting a culver's in santa monica soon well, uh, who knows? Someday we're in uh, 25 states today, and uh, someday uh, we'll uh, we'll get into uh, California as well. And now, the food news: the answer to herbicide-resistant superweeds. Innovative farmers in Australia have pioneered diverse creative tools to fight herbicide-resistant weeds, which could possibly provide a solution for U.S. farmers as well. Around the world, 255 different weeds have developed resistance to 163 different herbicides, but Aussie farmers may have discovered solutions to fighting these herbicide-resistant weeds. The farmers from down under have developed several approaches devised to catch and destroy weed seeds before they can spread and turn into new weeds. They're also experimenting with row spacing, higher planting densities, and breeding crop varieties to be more competitive with the weeds. However, 
Despite the preliminary success of these weed removal methods, weed infestation still costs the Australian grains industry upwards of 2.3 billion U.S. dollars in revenue losses and expenditures every year. What grocers need to know is although herbicide-resistant superweeds have become an evolving obstacle for farmers, the Australian farmers have innovative and experimented with methods to fight these malicious weed seeds. They could potentially help provide solutions for farmers globally. The key is collaboration between farmers. And in addition to gaining an edge over these superweeds, farmers are also developing new ways to make livestock farming more efficient. New research offers strategies for sustainable, profitable livestock farming. Diseases in livestock can compromise animal welfare and create production inefficiencies, so the EU-funded ProHealth Project attempted to gain a better understanding of the many different aspects of comprehensive pig and poultry production that may play a part in the spreading of diseases. ProHealth has claimed that throughout its five-year study, it has developed novel strategies for sustainable livestock farming that limits the environmental impact and remains profitable for farmers. The ProHealth research team discovered that a combination of vaccination, biosecurity measures, and utilizing big data to predict biosecurity risks and diseases on the pig and poultry farms can make farms more profitable, and improve animal welfare while also fighting the effects of diseases on global food security. What grocers need to know is that the research from this five-year study offers valuable insights as to how livestock farmers can continue to improve their animals' welfare and combat diseases while also keeping their farm profitable. It can also serve as a guideline for retailers as they create their sustainability platforms for their farmer and rancher relationships. And now we'll turn the spotlight onto produce. Influencers are highlighting produce. It's time to take notice of an influx of more realistic food photos on social media feeds as influencers respond to feedback from their audiences. DMA Solutions, the Dallas-based marketing firm, reports a new trend influencers have noticed. People are growing tired of those pictures of perfect food. This comes alongside a larger trend of consumers seeking authenticity from those they follow for information, from bloggers to companies themselves. So with the intent of making their food photos more relatable, influencers have had a few strategic approaches in mind. The most intuitive is to style food so that certainly it's pleasing, but still realistic. People want to know what a recipe will actually look like if they attempt to replicate it. Still, another way to make images more relatable is to cut back on the props and instead utilize fruits and vegetables to add color. Influencers also suggest that videos can be useful in giving people confidence that they too can create the recipe that's being portrayed. DMA also projects that the movement shots will be trending this year. The firm reports, no more simply flat lays in 2019. To get their taste buds going, viewers want drizzles, drips, and dustings caught in motion at just the right time. Lackluster photography won't earn brands any likes or momentum this year, so make the commitment to generate new or updated photography and content, or risk your brand getting left behind. 
What grocers need to know is that influencers are playing a substantial role in our food society, especially for younger generations of consumers. Grocers, their chefs, their retail dietitians, their fishmongers, and their butchers and bakers need to utilize the methods and techniques that these social influencers use to become their own influencers as a means of promoting and selling their products and banner to build a stronger relationship with current and potential shoppers. And in line with these social trend projections, here are the colors expected to dominate in the coming year. The warm colors of yellow and orange will prevail in 2019. The GNT Group, an ingredients company, forecasts that bright yellow to deep orange, the sunshine spectrum, if you would, are the colors projected to influence foods and beverages this year as Generation Z consumers, as well as others, look for items that convey optimistic feelings. Innova Market Insights say that feel-good label claims jumped 36% between 2016 and 2017. Besides the purely visual appeal, colors also entice consumers with anticipated flavors. Research has found that 90% of shoppers make up their minds about buying a product based on its color and perceived taste. Warm, sunshiny colors also happen to stimulate the appetite, as they're typically associated with gratifying comfort foods, like mac and cheese or buttered popcorn. Colorful foods are especially popular with Generation Z and Millennials, since they tend to use social media platforms, like Instagram and Pinterest, to show up their tasty treats. What grocers need to know is that the fields of advertising and marketing have always been driven by a visual aesthetic. So should the interiors of our stores. In times of social anxiety, using these optimistic colors to make customers relax and feel happier in your store will translate to larger basket sizes as they spend more time in the store. And while we do want to harness advantageous opportunities to use technology to drive sales, we must also keep in mind that sometimes tech isn't always best. Not everything in the supply chain should be automated, and here's why. With new advances in robotics and artificial intelligence, nearly every participant in the supply chain is looking to incorporate some form of automation. Walmart, Kroger, and others are testing grocery-picking robots, while Ryder has partnered with Fetch Robotics to install drones, sensors, and wearable technology in their warehouses. DHL even reports that it's seeing about 25% productivity improvement from robotics. Automation does have the capability to increase efficiency, reduce costs, and improve performance. However, as experts recently conveyed to supply chain drive, automated technology is not a panacea for every application or facility. Just because you can automate something doesn't mean you should, says John Santagate, research director for the service robotics market at IDC. There are aspects of supply chain that shouldn't be automated. You can leverage technology to support things, but there are still humans required in decision-making and in some processes. Three points he says to remember. Number one, robots have limitations. Most remain limited to repetitive and menial tasks. Number two, humans are still the best managers. Number three, relationship and soft skills remain workers' competitive edge. What grocers need to know is with the influx of new advances in robotics and AI, nearly every participant in the supply chain is incorporating some form of automation. However, 
There are necessary human characteristics such as perception, awareness, and social skills that machines simply cannot replicate effectively, or at least not yet. It's time to head to the farm with Bo Stone, a North Carolina farmer from PS Farms. So, Bo, I understand you, you started farming when you were eight years old. What was that about? Well, you know, growing up on a family farm, it was an expectation that as soon as you were old enough, you started helping out. Uh, we were traditionally tobacco farmers, and at eight years old, I was old enough to help uh, a little bit with the harvest and different things. So from the time I was old enough to walk and follow my dad around, I was I was out there. But now at eight, I actually had a job and responsibilities to, to help. So you've expanded from tobacco to now, you know, uh, over... 2,300 acres of corn, wheat, soybeans, you've got 10,000 pigs, you've got 60 cows, you've got two and a half acres of strawberries, you've got four acres of sweet corn. I mean, you have your own roadside market. So you've really evolved um, out of tobacco in, in a huge way. We really have. You know, I like to pick and tell that we're diversified, not because we want to be, but because we have to be. But that's not really true. We like the fact that we do use and grow several different crops, and we're into a lot of different markets, and it helps us spread our labor out. It also is ensuring that we have a farm that is diversified and large enough to bring that eighth generation back into when when they're ready. So everything that we're doing and the diversifying that we've done has been with that eye on to the future. What's interesting to me is you do a lot of outreach, and in fact, you you bring kids uh, from school to the farm. Tell me about that, and how many kids have you actually brought to the farm so far? Uh, you know, I don't really know the number there, but we do think that it's very important that children especially understand where their food comes from. And if they can relate back to what they had for breakfast that morning, that it could have been grown on a farm like Farmer Bo has, you mm -hmm. know, that, that will stick with them, and that will give them enough you know, a little sense of, of how agriculture really works, that farm-to-table process, uh, you know, it just lets them see that a little better. So tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So I've got to ask you, because you've got, you know, two and a half acres of strawberries, um, how has the whole, you know, uh, strawberry Valentine's Day thing happened? Because I know that people love chocolate-covered, love to get and give chocolate-covered strawberries uh, for Valentine's Day. How did that evolve, and, and what is the market for strawberries these days? Well, you know, that is a great, it's a great marketing uh, campaign, I guess, you know, and people think of strawberries and they're red and Valentine's and they're mm -hmm. sweet and their sweetheart loves chocolate covered strawberries. So it's really just they a look great like a heart. There. Yeah, they, that's right. That's, like a heart. Yeah, I, I think it's great advertising, you know, for, for the industry. Uh, unfortunately, I can't take advantage of it from my farm just because my berries aren't ready yet. But uh, for the folks in Florida who are harvesting now, this has got to be really helping with demand. And uh, of course, I'm planning on probably getting some as well. So when, talk to me a little bit about your roadside market. What made you decide to have that? Um, what's the reaction that you get from people who stop by there? Um, and again, you know, just building on what you said about, you know, kids understanding where their food comes from. Don't we have the same problem with adults that a lot of adults don't know where the food comes from? 
You're exactly right. Uh, so many adults don't know either. Uh, we kind of try to concentrate on those kids because we can bring a lot of kids in at one time. And hopefully as they grow, they'll remember that lesson. And when they have children, they'll continue to come back. Uh, we started growing strawberries. We were looking for an opportunity when, when my first child was born, and she's almost 18 now. We were looking for a way for my wife to quit her off-the-farm job. And we were looking for something that the entire family could participate in. Mm. I knew that we wouldn't be in tobacco forever, but I was looking for something that everybody could participate in and could have a role and could, uh, you know, be a, a, a draw for our farm. And the strawberries have worked out well. Uh, as far as our roadside stand, you know, that's been a really good uh, marketing uh, market for us. Uh, we started out, you know, with less than a half acre of strawberries and just threw we'll call it word of mouth, you know, that folks like the quality and they like to be able to get the fresh berries. And so sure. they come out and, and we've been able to expand there and we're, we're, we're giving the consumer something that they want, which is a high quality, fresh fruit. You know, and, and what's interesting to me, Bo, is when I go into a supermarket, um, sometimes uh, versus a roadside stand and I pick up a strawberry, you know, it might be bright red on the outside, but then I take a bite and, you know, it's sort of like tasteless and crunchy. So, you know, having, having a farm stand where you can get it, you know, as fresh as, as, as it was just picked, um, that's a huge benefit. It really is. And a lot of that is the varieties that we grow. Uh, we grow something that's really good for that fresh market and it's going to be red and juicy all the way through and with a great taste. Uh, we try to make sure that everybody that comes to our stand, that if they get a strawberry, it's left in the field last night. In other words, we only pick what we sell that day. We don't carry any over from day to day. So you can rest assured if you get a strawberry from us that it is truly a fresh berry. Some of the local supermarkets, they buy directly from farmers like us. And of course, we'll deliver several times a week to make sure that they keep a fresh strawberry in. I really like, um, you know, keeping it local is good for everyone in the community when you can make that happen. Absolutely. You know, keeping it local means more nutrients, uh, better taste, better price, you know, all, all of the above. Earlier in the podcast, I was speaking with Joe Koss, who's the CEO of, of Culver's, and I, I was fascinated by their program uh, called Thank You Farmers, um, where they've raised, you know, millions of dollars for agriculture. Um, they really want, you know, everybody that visits their restaurants to know where the food comes from, know about the farmers. How do you feel as a farmer about a program like Thank You Farmers from Culver's? I think it's a great program, and, and for a lot of different reasons. You know, it's tying the food that you're getting there at Culver's back to a local farmer. And I think that that's a wonderful opportunity. And consumers want to know where their food is coming from as well. They have questions about it, and they can have, a, have an assurance that, hey, I can put a face to that. I know where it comes from. I know that that's going to be uh, high quality. I know it's going to be safe for my family. And and all of those questions can be answered that way. I think it's a great campaign. I do appreciate them, you know, reaching out to the farmers and thanking the farmers and and all because at the end of the day, not only am I feeding my family, but I'm feeding yours too. And I'm not going to do anything to, to harm either one. Well, Bo, thank you so much for joining us um, on the podcast. And uh, happy Valentine's Day to you and your family. Yes, sir. To you as well. 
And thank you for joining us on Farm Food Facts. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com under the Programs and Media tab. And be sure to visit us on Facebook at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers or on Twitter at USFRA. Until next week. <music>